Well, hey, welcome to the Walk On Podcast, a podcast to help you take your next step in your faith journey with Jesus. Well, hey, Walk On friends, we have another episode looking at my new book, Trust Fall, How the Fall of Man Reveals a God Worth Trusting. The book's available at uh, Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. And the emphasis of the book is uh, this in-depth look at Genesis chapter three, the Garden of Eden story. You know, you're probably familiar with the basic plot of the story, right? You have Adam and Eve and a talking snake that deceives them and they eat the forbidden fruit. And uh, it's the first sin. And then they're put out of the garden. And the story is familiar to so many of us. It's often referenced. Um, it's used as the starting point for gospel presentations, you know, to set up the good news of Jesus. We talk about the bad news of the fall of man. But what I realized is that for all the times that this Garden of Eden story is referenced, it's rarely studied in depth. So my book is an attempt to better understand what the biblical story is trying to communicate. So last episode, I talked a little bit about the why behind the book and uh, um, how I wrote it and uh, gave a little bit of a glimpse into the introduction. This episode, I want to talk briefly about some of the things I cover in chapters one and two in the book. And so, like I said, uh, we're so familiar with this story and often um, gospel presentations start by referencing the sin of Adam and Eve to connect the dots to how we are all sinners um, so most of those presentations start in Genesis 3 and then connect the dots to Jesus. The problem is that's not where the Bible starts. The biblical story doesn't start with sin. It doesn't start in Genesis chapter 3. So in order to fully understand what is trying to be communicated in Genesis chapter 3 and the impact of Adam and Eve's actions, we have to look at Genesis chapters one and two. And that's what I do in um, the first two chapters of the book, just lay a little bit of context. Now, there are volumes of books that explain these opening chapters of the Bible. And, and truthfully, in just a couple of chapters, I just barely scratch the surface. But I do try to point out some key perspectives to keep in mind that help us better understand what is happening in Genesis chapter three. So as you read the opening words of the Bible, it's this beautiful creation poem. It's highly structured and divided into days of creation. And then there are these common refrains that you hear again and again in each of the days. And I think when you pay attention to some of those phrases that are used over and over again in the creation account, you can learn some things. So let me read just a little excerpt out of chapter one. One of the words that appears over and over again, seven times actually, is the word good. What is described as good? Is God described as good? Well, that would make sense. But interestingly, God isn't described much at all in the creation account. We're told what God does and we're told what God thinks about the things he's just created. God thinks that they are good. He creates something and when he looks at what was created, he sees it as good. Light, good. Sky, land, and sea, good. Plants, good. Solar system, good. Birds and fish, good. Land animals, good. Humans. Now, this is where things start to get interesting. When God created humans in his image, he blessed them. And then he looked over all that he had made and saw that it was not just good, but very good. It's particularly interesting that this last statement is the seventh mention of the word good. In Hebrew, the number seven conveys the idea of completion or perfection. 
It's as if the biblical author doesn't want us to miss this vital truth. All of God's creation is completely, fully, very good. Before loss, before fear and hiding, before sin, there is an underlying intrinsic goodness in all things. Humanity is good. That's the start of the story. Let's not forget. So as we read through the biblical story, we see this word good over and over again. And it's a key part to understand the start of the biblical story. And it's a key part to lay the foundation then for what we get into in Genesis chapter three. Now, another key part of the opening of the Genesis story that I talk about in the book is this idea of partnership. Uh, you read about how God invites Adam and Eve to partner with him in stewarding creation. The very first command given in the Bible is an invitation to partnership. After God creates the man and the woman, he looks at them and he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then he commands them to rule over all of the living creatures. It's this idea of partnering with God in organizing and stewarding his creation. And then in Genesis chapter two, we see that God places Adam in the garden and he commands him to tend it and to take care of it. And so the Bible shows us that, that God is a God that is willing to share his authority. He invites humanity to partner with him to help steward this creation, to help continue the act of creation. And then he invites them to reflect him into the world. They're created in his image and there's a part of them that reflects him. And so um, another key idea is this idea of partnership. Humanity is called to partner with God and share his authority in bringing about his goodness into the world. Now, another interesting detail of the story as you read through Genesis chapters one and two is that it points out that Adam and Eve were naked. It's kind of an odd detail, right? right? The biblical authors have something against clothing. What's going on? Well, I don't think that this detail is actually about clothing. I think this is a poetic way to talk about the type of relationship that God had with Adam and Eve. And I think that God wants with every human he's created. I mean, if you think about nakedness, when somebody's naked, they are fully visible. There's nothing to hide. And so what God desires is a relational nakedness with his creation, where there's trust and total openness. There's no need to try to pretend to be somebody that you're not. There's no need to hide certain parts of you. You can be totally and fully known and totally and fully accepted. And so it's this idea, I, I believe the opening pages of the Bible present a picture of God's desire for an intimate, trust-filled relationship with his creation. Okay, so let's look at another characteristic of the garden story. Do you know how many trees were in the Garden of Eden? One, two? Well, let's, let's read Genesis and find out. Uh, Genesis chapter two, verses eight and nine. Says the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And then in the middle of the garden was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for if you eat from it, you will certainly die. So, how many trees were in the garden? All kinds of trees. See, this wasn't just some little backyard garden. The Garden of Eden was an orchard. And God invites Adam to enjoy every tree. Well, 
except for one, right? He, all of the trees are open to eat and to enjoy except for one. And on that one, God puts boundaries around it because it would harm humanities as if you eat from it, you will certainly die. And we have a tendency to focus on that one tree that's off limits. But before we move into that, I, I, I want to focus on the, the idea of abundance, that there is a whole orchard of trees for humans to freely enjoy. The opening pages of the Bible depict a world of abundance. And so as you read through chapters one and two in the Genesis account, you see a God that creates goodness, um, that desires relational intimacy, that calls humanity to partnership and provides abundantly. And these are key characteristics of God's original design. And we must keep these things in mind before we look at the fall of man, because that's how the story starts. But now let's, let's shift and let's talk about that one tree. What was the deal with that one tree and why is it off limits? Why would God place a tree in the garden and then say, hey, don't eat from it? Well, here's another excerpt from my book. God desires a relationship with his image bearing partners that is grounded in a trust filled, intimate community. One function of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is to allow this trusting, intimate relationship to exist. True relationships are mutual. It takes two parties choosing to trust each other. If Adam and Eve had no choice in the matter, would it be a real relationship? God wants real relationships, not robotic obedience. And that requires the ability to not reciprocate the love and trust that God extends. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents that choice. By allowing the possibility for Adam and Eve to not choose trust, God was allowing trust to truly exist. Placing the tree in the garden wasn't simply an obedience test. It allowed for free will, and it was an invitation into a partnership of love and trust. Now, in the book, I also talk about how the name of this tree sheds a little bit of light on its role in the garden. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now you may say, well, wouldn't God want Adam and Eve to have the knowledge of good and evil? Right. If he's called them to be his partners in the world, shouldn't they know those kind of things? Why would he say that knowledge of good and evil is off limits? Well, here's the thing. As you read the story, you realize that Adam and Eve already had that information. All throughout the creation account, God had already been defining what is good and what is evil. In Genesis 1, God defined what is good over and over again. He said, this is good and this is good and this is good. And then in Genesis chapter two, we come across something that God defined that wasn't good. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. So he's already providing that information to Adam and Eve. It wasn't like they didn't have that. What I think the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents is Adam and Eve's choice to trust God's definition of good and evil. Or instead, they try to define good and evil on their own terms by symbolized by eating the fruit of the tree. So it's this opportunity for a trust-filled relationship to exist and an invitation for Adam and Eve to choose to trust the wisdom of good and evil that God lays out or symbolized by eating the fruit of the tree, they choose to not trust it and try to, to define good and evil on other terms in other ways instead of what God lays out. See, God desires his wisdom, his definition of good and evil to be the guide for you and me. 
And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is an invitation into this trust-filled, intimate relationship with God. And it represents every person's choice to trust God's wisdom and to live to our full potential or to choose to trust in something less and face the consequences of that. So the opening chapters of Genesis are all about relationship. It's an invitation to relationship, a relationship marked by trust and goodness and openness and abundance. But just like Adam and Eve, you and I have a choice to trust God for that or reject it for our own distorted version. What will you choose? So there's a little bit of an overview of chapters one and two of Trustfall. I go into a lot more detail in the book and share some fun personal stories to help illustrate some of these concepts. But I just wanted to touch on the base of it a little bit. And, and I hope that you're interested in digging into the book and reading it. Um, if you'd like to purchase it, you can find it on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. Uh, just search for Trustfall and Brent Faulkner and it'll uh, get you right to it. We'll be back in future episodes talking about other chapters in the book. Um, but for now, thanks for listening to this episode.